This week's episode is inspired by weekend episode that's from Gina, and that is addictive. Yeah, buddy, you've downloaded Tropical Talk Radio, where we talk about all things entrepreneurship, travel, and lifestyle. If you're interested in more about this program, check out tropicalmba.com. And if you sign up for our mailing list, I will personally send you 50 free podcast episodes that take you along on our journey and expose the insider story on how we started a million-dollar, honest-to-goodness product business while we traveled the globe. Hey everybody, this is uh, Tropical Talk Radio number 14. You can find us on iTunes. You can also subscribe, review skis, all that stuff on iTunes. Check out tropicalmba.com. That's where we've got all the show notes, information of everything I'm talking about. At the end of this episode, which should be not a too long one, I'm hopefully going to play one or two more Tropical NBA interviews so you can hear some other entrepreneurs you know, in our network and, and what they're doing, hopefully to inspire you today, I saw an email from Frank Kern. Do you guys all know Frank Kern, the uh, the super high profile make money online guy, saying that uh, you can start a lifestyle business, a, a profitable lifestyle business. Get this, without doing any launches, you don't have to do any of that launch stuff. Maybe old Frankie Kern's listening to the Tropical Talk Radio. He should be. Give me a call, Frank, baby. Speaking of people I admire online. Mr. Joe Magnotti was talking to him from the AdSense Flippers the other day. I nailed the whale, people. He said he's coming down to the Tropical MBA event in August. So uh, all the students can benefit from Joe's expansive entrepreneurial background. I'm really looking forward to that. It's been a, a few months since I've seen my good buddy Joe. So thanks a lot, Joe, for coming out. Looking forward to that. Also heard that Justin, his better half, might be coming to the uh, October Tropical MBA event. So really proud to hear that. Speaking of our premium stuff, on Monday or Tuesday next week, Ian and I are going to fly to Bangkok. And the reason we're going to do that is we're going to spend a week there planning and organizing our Dynamite Circle Global Summit, which is October the 18th to the 20th. And this is sort of a change of heart that I've had. And I just kind of wanted to walk you through, you know, I guess how this stuff comes about. I mean, one of the things we thought is like when we started the Dynamite Circle, which is our private um, networking and membership group for people that have businesses. One of the ways we can we can keep people in the group and provide them with a lot of value without spending a lot of money is by bringing everybody together into one place and creating, you know, a place for them to network and to learn from each other and everything. And so, you know, we said, "Hey, in October we're going to have this event and, you know, that's going to be that." And I think since then it's it's sort of been something that we were like, "Ah, you know, we kind of have to do it, but it's not like a big money maker." And so we've been sort of putting it off. And I've had a change of heart in the last week. I'll tell you why. Two things have been happening. Number one is that I've gained a lot of confidence from throwing these tropical MBA events. Um, you know, by meeting you people in person and running an event and seeing in person the value that that has, um, you think less about things like how is this going to affect my immediate bottom line and you see the value and so that inspires you to do more. Um, another thing is... There's this concept that I think is useful for entrepreneurs is uh, I feel like, especially at the beginning part of the last Tropical MBA, um, I had this kind of false modesty. Like you ever know when you have like relatives visiting from out of town or buddies coming to your hometown and when they show up at your apartment and stuff, you, you know, you set them up and you're like, so what do you guys want to do? It's like the worst thing that you can say to people, you know, because 
it, it, it costs glucose to make decisions and they just flew on a plane. They just packed their bags. You know, they're thinking about other stuff like who's going to feed their cat. The last thing they're thinking about is whether they want Mexican or Italian when they show up to your place. And anyway, you know the best places. So you should just make those decisions ahead of time. And, and that's another thing that I'm deciding here is, you know, if, if people want to make an alternate decision, they're, of course, they're adults. They're always welcome to do that. But I think me and my team, you know, we should spend that glucose, that energy up front to really map out what we think that experience is going to be like for people. Man, I'm getting tweeted like crazy over here. I'm going to turn this off. So, so that's the second um, that's the second reason, you know, is, is just getting rid of this false modesty like, hey, everybody, you know, just kind of do what you want and free form it. No, no, no. We're going to go there. We're going to set this whole thing up. We're going to have some clear goals in mind. You know, we're going to try to get some keynote speakers. We're going to have workshops. We're going to, I mean, I want this thing to be the bomb. And, and, you know, one of the other things that has inspired me to double down on this, this Bangkok meetup is I've met so many people in passing in the last two weeks that are in the D.C. It's it's it's. A lot of people have been saying to me, again, this is false modesty. People say, you know, you're really doing something special there with the D.C. And I'm like, yeah, 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 you know. And, and, and now I'm just like, you know what? What's the point of, of having that false modesty? It's like, I agree. Of course it's special. Now I need to act like it. I need to work like it. And, you know, people have been mentioning in passing, you know, I'm going to see so-and-so in October. I'm going to see so-and-so in October. Yeah, I'm traveling in October. I've heard that on a, on a podcast, like another podcast. Yeah, I'm traveling in October. And I know these people are DCers. That's why they're traveling in October. And that, to me, was inspiring as well. So I'm going to get my lazy ass on an airplane to Bangkok. And the October event, and I know many of the DCers listen to this podcast, the October event is going to be amazing. All right, that's the news. Here today, I'm going to talk about five strategic edges to employ in your blog or podcast to achieve that six-figure content marketing dream, that, that the passive income, the, the residual membership stuff, the, the holy grail of lifestyle businesses. And obviously, people are attracted to content marketing because it works like gangbusters. But people, coming back to the confidence point, don't often know how to have that edge. You know, I, I had a blog post a while back where I called dead on arrival, blogs that are dead on arrival. And I, I just know, I call it, my, my, I'm 100% for 100%. You want to write me an email and say, hey, Dan, is my blog dead on arrival? I will give you my honest opinion as long as you promise not to be mad at it. The way that you prevent a blog from, or a podcast or a video blog or whatever it's going to be or any piece of content from being dead on arrival is that you employ strategic edges. And I'm going to share five of them with you today. All right, let's get started with number one. Number one is having a voracious input, being insatiably curious, being the intellectual of your niche. Great examples of this would be like Venkat from Ribbon Farm or Simon Black from Sovereign Man, um, J.D. Roth from, what is that blog, Get Rich Slowly. You all know the bloggers that just seem to know more about what's going on than everybody else and that's why you go there. I am so sick of this... I, I think this this advice I've, I read it a bunch of times around the blogosphere in the last six months, the last six years. This is this is super trite advice. Here it goes: Stop reading blogs, clear out your RSS reader, so that you're not reading and instead you're generating content. This advice is like, what is the proper metaphor? This advice is amateur hour. This advice assumes that. Producing and consuming are diametric actions. They're not. Here's, here's the thing. If you read good stuff, that's going to inspire you to make better work yourself. Last night I listened to the AdSense Flippers podcast. I learned a lot. 
And then I was on the phone this morning with an entrepreneur with whom I shared some of the lessons I learned on that podcast, with whom we've come up with a new business idea, and then that inspired something that I wrote today for a blog post. Okay, so this whole idea that you need to cut down your inputs in order to increase your outputs is dumb. I think it's dumb. And what most people, I think if you've experimented with this in your life, you stop reading the good stuff, you start, stop eating that good intellectual food, and then you just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and you're not creating anything. So I totally disagree with the people who put this stuff out. And hey, you know, maybe for some people there are exceptions to this, of course. But I think this is a way to have an edge, to have read more, to be more cultured, to have more information on your side. Voracious input is a strategy. And so if you're a reader, if you're insatiably curious, if you're an intellectual, double down on that. Stop with this stupid stuff where you're not referencing any outside material and you're just, quote, generating content. Jeez, have you heard of a more neuter, boring, you know, just sucked out of all the passion generating content? I mean, please don't stop generating content. <laughs> Do stuff that, that has a little bit of blood in it. Number two, and this is sort of a interesting reaction or it has an interesting relationship with the number one. So number two is have a highly focused output. The other day I was talking to a really smart guy, a guy who's coming to the Tropical MBA event. It was just amazing how much learning he had done. Um, you know, he had had all these different kinds of educational experiences and read all these different kinds of books and done all these different kinds of work. So he's just a really smart guy, right? As a really smart guy, he could pretty much do anything he wants to do. You know, a guy could go build bridges. He could be a football coach, whatever. He's going to be fine. But the thing that he needs to decide, if, especially if he wants to be a successful startup entrepreneur or content marketer, is he needs to identify a highly focused output. And this is an edge because what, what a lot of really, really smart people do is they say, you know what, I can't write an outsourcing blog, so instead I'm going to write a personal blog. I'm going to put it underneath my name, and then that's going to allow me to write about whatever the hell I want. This, to me, is a failed approach. This does not give you an edge when you do this. An edge is, you know, would be a highly focused output. So imagine if that polymathic, voracious input dude takes all of that breadth of information and then focuses it on the same kind of output three times a week. So that output is a screen flow where you review other people's websites. So that's a blog or a podcast where you talk about outsourcing. That's going to be like the most interesting, most badass, drop down, drag out, friggin' podcast in the world. And so even people, so I guess the, the duality between these two points of voracious input and highly focused output is that what I want people to think about is if you want to get crazy and creative and like let yourself a long leash, let give yourself leash on the input side. You're going to do your business a disservice, especially at the beginning, if you give yourself leash on the output side. Now, having a highly focused output is going to solve two problems that a lot of businesses have. Number one is they say they're not pro prolific enough. If you want to be a good content marketer, a lot of times you've got to be pretty prolific. And if you give yourself too many options for what you're creating, it's more difficult to be prolific. If you write a 500-word blog post about outsourcing three times a week, it's easy to be prolific. Trust me, you'll get good at it. And number two is developing a highly legible body of work. This is one of the things that I really stress in our in-person events is like having a body of work. If you don't have a known brand, it's a way to ha like hack yourself a brand, right? Because brand is like brand recognition. I trust them. I've seen them around. I know what's going on. How do you do that online? How do you do that with content? 
Well, you do it with body of work. And if you've got like a blog post about this, a podcast about that, a screen flow about that, and it's like all over the place, that's not a highly legible, consistent body of work that's going to build trust with the target market looking for specific solutions. So this is how you do this highly focused output. Just choose that output. I don't care how smart, intellectual, and how creative, free thinking you are. If you want to start a business, choose a specific mode of output and just do it. Just hold yourself down and friggin' do it. Let's talk about the edge number three. It's a format edge. I want to go on record as saying this because I've been saying this behind the scenes a little bit. And I really believe that there's a huge opportunity for daily podcasts. I'm seeing it. This is what I call a format edge. You can edge out the marketplace. You can get a foothold by doing something different in terms of format. And in terms of podcasts, as far as I know, there's no daily internet marketing podcast. Now, the ways in which people consume content is different, right? There's a lot of people who have uh, jobs where they listen to radio every day, right? There's a lot of people who have daily commutes. There's a lot of people who have daily jogs and walks and runs. Those people would like to meet you, their favorite content producers, every day. But in a lot of the online niches, like the places where we roll, maybe that's like travel, uh, finance, entrepreneurship, lifestyle design, all this kind of stuff – the content producers, that's you, have yet not seen the reason or they haven't seen the profitability. They don't think they can make money from it if they produce something every day. I think an example of this going down was a survival podcast, where the and now he makes a full-time living off of it, where he would open up his recorder while he would drive to work every day. And I do think that there's, for podcasters in particular, maybe not so much for blogs, for podcasters in particular... There is, an, there is a potential opportunity to be podcasting every day. If you started a daily podcast about taxes, I think you can make a full-time living off of that. I'm not even kidding. I think it's possible. Let's look at Pat Flynn. Remember when he started doing those income reports way back in the day? I hate to break it to you people, but income reports are no longer a format edge. I see, <laughs> it's like every week now I see a new blogger like put out their income report and it's just like it's it's just like the most underwhelming thing on the planet. Oh, there's another guy making seven thousand dollars a month off of niche sites. It's super underwhelming now. It's not interesting anymore. Um, you know, it was cool when Pat Flynn did it two years ago or whatever. And I think now you have to fit that's not an edge, right? That's just sort of the status quo now. So I think you need to decide like um, you know, people are right to recognize how profound that was for Pat to do that. But you got to get creative and do something different. So that's what I mean by format edge. Number five, let's talk about uh, a mindset edge, and that's professionals versus amateurs. And uh, a lot of what I'm seeing with, with, with Dead on Arrival blogs is amateur attitudes. And, and let me quote from uh, uh, Carl Guida was, was so kind as to put his notes up from a Stephen Pressfield book that he read that I just started reading today. And, uh, man, some devastating quotes here about uh, professionals versus amateurs. Okay, so... Um, now, now, as I read these quotes, imagine if, you know, imagine if any bloggers that you know, or maybe you can recognize a little bit of this in ourselves, and I know this can see some of the ugly parts of ourselves. The amateur is a narcissist. He views the world hierarchically. He continually rates himself in relation to others, becoming self-inflated if his fortune rises and desperately anxious if his star should fall. It's the blogosphere in a nutshell. The amateur allows his worth and identity to be defined by others. The amateur craves third-party validation. 
Mostly what we fear as amateurs is being excluded from the tribe, the gang, the posse, mother and family, family, nation, race, religion. The amateur fears that if he turns pro and lives out his calling, he will have to live up to who he really is and what he is truly capable of. The amateur is terrified that if the tribe should discover who he is really is, he will be kicked out into the cold and die. This is what I mean about your content selling out. This is what I mean about amateur bloggers blogging for tweets and Facebook likes and not for the hearts and minds. It's about focusing more on your content, caring so much about your craft and the ideas behind it. You know what the classic example of this is? Let's say last week's episode, we had some amazing comments uh, because I said something that was a little bit unclear about benefits versus features, and it was unclear not because I didn't say enough about it, but it's just unclear because I didn't know what I was talking about. And then a bunch of people, it got them to think like, well, how do we complete this loop? You know, because Dan sort of mentioned something. There's something there, but he didn't complete it. So they went to the blog post and, um, you know, Tim Conley and Dan Norris and myself and like we're doing this back and forth. And it was really cool. Right. So here's a great sort of testing ground is how do you take critical feedback? Because if you can always tell an amateur by if they get offended by critical feedback. That's it. Because what amateurs are trying to do is like defend their ground. Like what you said is, you know, you're talking about me. You're saying something about who I am. And that is amateur friggin' hour. And I understand that we all feel like that sometimes, but you need to root that out if you want this particular content edge. Because when you look at like the sovereign mans of the world, and I mean, I can think of like, countless authors and bloggers they're professionals they're the bomb like they they have a true love for their craft when they see critical feedback their first thinking is oh no i gotta i gotta account for that i gotta think about that that to me is a simple distinction but uh you know i get angry at myself when i feel like that and i want you to get angry at yourself because the world here's the thing uh my entrepreneurial brothers and sisters the world doesn't need more of that crap the world doesn't need more petty amateurs getting freaking butt hurt about some critical feedback. And that's not what's that's not because here's the thing. If you have a real business, you are going to be freaking getting that shit every single day. So uh, if, if you're getting all out of line about that stuff, I think you need to you need to resist that in, in yourself. And that's that. All right. Let's talk about the final thing here. Let's talk about track record track record i mean how many times have i seen some person that maybe they don't i don't maybe they just got their mba or whatever they don't have anything going on and they decide that they're going to start a blog that helps entrepreneurs now this isn't an impossible mountain to scale but i'm always thinking are you crazy are you nuts so how does a person that does not have an entrepreneurial track record even think that they can start an entrepreneurial blog let alone succeed well there's some ways that they could succeed. So with track record, you could have an implied track record. I think uh, uh, that's what Ian and I mostly rock off of. I think you can tell by the topics that we talk about. We don't have to do an income report for you guys to know that we actually have legitimate business going on. So that's that would be the implied track record. You could have an associated track record. That could be like a job or a gig or somebody that you work with or a partnership. You're sort of, you might be a small fry, but because of that gig that you have, you see the inside of the Starship Enterprise and you know what's going on there and you can share that with people. So that would be like an associated 
track record. You could have a transparent track record. That's where uh, you could be like at the top end. You could be like Mr. Pat Flynn where it's like, you know, here's the uh, <laughs> here's my P&L statement from last month, right? Another way to do that is to actually go out and do stuff and show people. And not enough people do this because it's too tough. You go out and you run an AdWords campaign and then you come back and you show it to people, right? And you say, here's what I did. That's That's a track record, man. That's a small track record, but that's what builds trust. And then finally, and this is really important for, or for bloggers that don't have uh, these other kinds of track record, is you could have an anchored track record. So the way that you have an anchored track record is that you anchor your thoughts to something greater than yourself, a body of work that is outside of yourself. Um, a great uh, example of this is the way Derek Halpern does it with psychology. What Derek does is he goes around and he finds like psychological research and stuff and he like anchors his articles and content in that, that research. So any way that you can associate your content with data, with research, with published reports, all this kind of stuff, that's how you can, you can have an anchored track record. Because if you're commenting on that, you're employing that stuff, it doesn't really matter what you did at that point. No one's really asking questions of what you did because you're sharing, um, you're basically leveraging the reputation of psychological research. And that's pretty smart. All right, well, it's Friday night and uh, doing a little bit of work in the hopes of inspiring you guys to do a little bit of work. Hope you enjoyed the program. I'm going to go pick out an interview and tack it onto the end of the thing. Again, these interviews were recorded in Puerto Galera uh, with the students that came to the Tropical MBA. Just been an amazing experience for me. I'm looking forward to going back. I'll be in Bangkok next week. If you guys want to meet up with Ian and myself, just drop me a line, and I believe that's about it. All right, have a great weekend. See you guys next week. All right, I'm here with Tropical MBA victim, Colin, and you're pretty unique because you came in with a pretty cool established business um, that you wanted to sort of take to the next level. So, Colin, let us know what your business does. Uh, my business is iBuyCameras.net, and I basically uh, buy used camera equipment and resell it. Um, I have a small website right now, and we try to buy camera equipment um, all across the East Coast right now. Um, and we're trying to expand uh, nationwide. Um, since I've been here, I've hired a VA to kind of facilitate that process. And um, I guess we'll see how that works out when I get back. Well, one of the questions, so you're in this really cool position that you have a great start. And that's a lot of people's biggest problem. So how did you get this idea to start this business? What was your inspiration? Um, I guess I've always kind of just been a hustler. And... Uh, <laughs> kind of sought out that next deal I mean from being really young and uh, been interested in baseball cards and comic books and you know you're try, that guy tried to make you're money Mr. Lemonade on, stand right? yeah yeah and tried to make money that way um, I mean I remember I, I guess I was maybe 16 or 17 and Pokemon was popular um, I went to Walmart one night and just kind of talked to uh, one of the stock boys and I was like hey uh, do you know when all the Pokemon stuff is coming out for Christmas and he gave me the exact time it was coming out so uh, I was there I think it was like 10 p.m. on a Friday night or something like that and I showed up and grabbed like three shopping carts and just loaded them with all the Pokemon stuff so uh, I went home and just listed it all on eBay and I think I like tripled my money and paid for Christmas and <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty sweet so it's just uh, it's just kind of finding a deal um, 
And I kind of did that with cars and, and a number of other things. So tell me, how has like coming to the Tropical MBA then sort of adjusted the trajectory of your business? Well, I, I'm just kind of, first of all, I've got to meet a lot of amazing people and, you know, people that really have great ideas and are further ahead than I am. So uh, I guess I've just got to nail down some, some real processes. Like uh, you gave that talk on, on hiring people. That was really valuable to me because uh, with my business, I kind of felt like, you know, I was stuck. I would have to be in the U.S. the entire time to really work on the business. But, you know, after after listening to that and hiring my first VA, um, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, I'll have a little more free time to uh, actually travel myself. So speaking of that, what would you say is your like life trajectory now? What's the next one to two years going to look like for you? Well, um, definitely hiring some more people. And uh, I'm going to have to hire someone in the U.S. to actually do a lot of the things that I do now, like uh, taking the pictures and uh, um, listing items on eBay and, and different places like that and in our store. Um, so once I get that nailed down, that'll free up a lot of my time. And uh, I see myself traveling a lot more. Nice. Uh, I actually heard from your brother that you're an Anthony Bourdain fan, too. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to Vietnam next month, man. So yep. uh, absolutely a place to hit. So, well, I'm curious because you've done some international travel. This is the first time you've been to the Philippines. What was your expectation? What's the reality? How would you describe it to people back home? Everything's so cheap. Everything is so accessible. Um, I mean, I don't make a ton of money. And I feel like a baller while I'm here. <laughs> so it's like the sky's the limit while you're here. And really, things that you would try to do or want to do in the U.S., um, they just cost so much. And, you know, it's, it's really not feasible. But once you're here, it just seems like, you know, I want to go diving or I want to, you know, go climb this mountain or, or do this or that. I mean, for like 30 or $40 U.S., you know, you can do it. Right. Whereas in the U.S., if you're in the U.S. and, I, you know, I want to go diving in the Florida Keys or something like that, it's going to cost me like, you know, $400 or $500 to rent a boat and go diving and do this and do that. And it's it's just, it's just a lot easier here. And you're a big diver, too. You're, yeah. you're a big outdoors guy. I mean, you know, here in the Philippines, you can take a boat out with a couple bodies and get in the water for like 30 bucks. Yeah. And I mean... The great thing about here is it doesn't even seem like you have to dive. I mean, if you're not a diver and you just want to snorkel, what was it, like 400 pesos or something like that yeah. to rent all the gear and, and be out there? I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. The other thing is um, it seems like all the beaches and, and places you go in the U.S. are really crowded. I mean, we went and we went to a beach that day and, and had a barbecue and did all that, and I think there was, what, three other people on the beach? <laughs> I mean, you just don't find that. So it's just uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, plus the water is amazing and food's great. So question for you. If, if a lot of people listening to the podcast might be kicking around an idea of doing Tropical MBA themselves, I'm going to run a few more. Who would benefit the most from this kind of experience based on the personalities that you've seen and the businesses coming through and stuff? I would say um, young entrepreneurs with open minds um, and that really want to travel and have a good time. Um, you know, if, if you're really like set in your ways and you know like watching your uh cable tv every day and stuff like that it's probably not going to be the place for you but if, if you're ready for an adventure and uh you know really want to travel and, and just see as much as you can this would be the place to do it 
Excellent, man. Well, cheers, Colin. It's a pleasure having you. Yeah, it's been awesome. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list. Check it out at tropicalmba.com. Get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do, plus give you those 50 free podcast episodes. If you want to say, hey, check me out on Twitter at Tropical MBA. We'll see you soon.